Hi guys, I have to tell you about this amazing event that we're sponsoring and is a, we're a part of. It's called Attune by Living Holy and my good friend Jenny Emblem, who you can listen to in this feed, her uh, Sunday School episode is called Attune, is hosting the most amazing, beautiful event right outside of Atlanta, November 8th through 11th. It's a four-day wellness experience to optimize health from the inside out. She's featuring amazing inspirational speakers, interactive workshops, immersion in nature. Let me tell you some of these names. The Elizabeth Gilbert. Can you believe it? Eat, pray, love. Elizabeth Gilbert, Gabby Bernstein, Sierra Rose, Shaman Durek, John Wineland. The list goes on and on about these amazing speakers and authors and just motivational individuals. It is uh, located in Serenby. And Serenby, if you haven't been there, it's a mystical urban utopia. I mean, it's incredible, guys. There's acres of forests and meadows and nature trails. Uh, there's going to be amazing fresh food and clean air. And you get to just immerse yourself in your own well-being and attune yourself to you to nature, to each other. It's going to be such an incredible experience and I'm so excited that we get to be a part of it. So if you live in Atlanta, you should definitely stop by at least for a day, if not the whole thing. The website is attunebylivingholly.com and then people are flying from all over the country to attend this event. So if you're not in Atlanta and you're one of our listeners somewhere else in the country. The Atlanta airport is pretty close to this event. Fly in, easy breezy, head to Serenby. You are not going to want to miss this event. If you come, look for us. We're going to have a mini modern mystic shop and we're going to be doing readings and stuff. So uh, again, attune by livingholy.com uh, and you're not going to want to miss this incredible opportunity. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop. My name is Kelly Knight. I am your podcast host and Modern Mystic Shop owner. And today in this episode, we're going to talk about food. Oh my gosh, food. It's For me, it's like I love it and then it's also sometimes the bane of my existence, knowing what to eat, when to eat, how to eat, how much, all of it. And luckily for you guys today, we have a very special guest that will help you and me and all of us make peace with food. Her name is Jennifer Knott. She's a registered dietitian and nutritionist, and she practices an integrative and functional quote-unquote whole person approach to nutrition, health, and healing. Basically, what she helps you do is get mindful about what you're eating. So that's paying attention to how and when and what and why you do what you do with food without the harsh criticisms. And then she also talks a lot about intuitive eating. So the process of really connecting with your body and your personal belly wisdom while deleting this whole diet and wellness culture. So she combines both of those two insights to help all of us make peace with food and create a sustainable and intentional living 
habits and life and everything that aligns with your personal goals. So I really hope you guys enjoy. I know food is just something you know we all have a different relationship to. And so I'm so glad that we have Jennifer Knott here who can help us all make peace with food. So without further ado... My name is Jennifer Knott, and I am a registered dietitian nutritionist, and I am formally trained in mindful and intuitive eating. And um, I also really, and, and previous to that, I studied vegan and live food nutrition. So I actually took a really radical approach. I studied, you know, very holistically first, and then realized that there was a way to blend both conventional and holistic together, and I thought it would be a really important approach to marry those two concepts because there are some people who are going to be very, who are going to resonate very much with a more holistic approach, and so I can, you know, hold that space for them. And then there are other people who really need the lab values and the science and the evidence behind nutrition. And so I can speak to that as well. And I think there's a wonderful marriage between the two where you can find a, an incredible middle ground. Um, just to give you some you know, background history on me as an individual, I had a very interesting upbringing with food. And my number one fan is here, my mom. And so I wanted to have a disclaimer here that I had to go through my process with food exactly as I did. Um, my soul demanded this because this work that I do now is very sacred. And I wouldn't be able to hold this space for my clients if I didn't go through the struggles that I did. So I don't want anything that I disclose today to make you feel like this was your any any fault for you from you because it was exactly what I needed to do the sacred work in the world. So I'm actually super, super grateful for it. Um, so I, I grew up in a bipolar household from a food perspective. So my mom was an, is an incredible cook. She made us Julia Child meals. So I was extremely fortunate to be raised on like incredible food made with love and intention and then on, on the weekends, I would go to my father's house and we would get to have frozen pizza and soft drinks and all the, you know, foods that my mom was not aligned with. And so I grew up with this really, really interesting um, energy around food where, you know, I would be nourishing my body the majority of the time with really, quote unquote, healthy vibrant foods and then you know on weekends when I would spend with my dad and my stepmom it was we'd kind of get like cracked out on you know some other foods and so I noticed at a very young age how food made me feel and but that didn't stop me from <laughs> still loving you know some of the foods that uh, don't necessarily vibe with my body now but it was just interesting to be raised in that type of household, right? So I think it's important for y'all to just, you know, actually when I work with clients, the first thing I ask them is, why now? Like, why are you coming to see me now? What's resonating with you 
um, or you know, why am I? Why do you feel like I'm the practitioner for you? So that's something that you'll want to ask yourself. Like, why did you resonate? Are are you just a frequent flyer for the you know the Sunday school classes here, or was there something you know with the making peace with food that really resonated with you, where you're like yeah, I kind of have a funky relationship with food and I, I want to learn a little bit more information. I'm open to finding out, you know, how I can start to nourish my body in a way that feels um, happy and healthy and joyful instead of a struggle. Because I struggled for a really, really long time, which is awesome because then I can hold a lot of space and I have an incredible amount of wisdom um, from a, you know, food perspective, I, clients call me, they're like, are you a food therapist? And I'm like, no, I was just stuck in diet culture for several decades and had to undiet for a long time and start to reconnect to the intuitive wisdom that we're all born with. So, um, so ask yourself that question, you know, what, what attracted me to this, this topic today? And then the second question I ask people is, what's your relationship with food? So y'all can think about that. Like, what do you, what is, you know, do you feel like you have a happy and joyful relationship with food? Do you, are you excited about eating it? Is it something that causes you a lot of trauma or pain? Um, just think about no judgment. That's the nice thing about the mindfulness that I'm going to get into. But just think about it. Like, how do I use food? Is it comforting? Is it something, is it my best friend? I've heard that from clients before where they're like, food is my friend. Um, I've heard people say, um, I'm very confused about food. I have a lot of clients that come to me who are extremely confused. They're like, my God, I, I, I can't, I don't know what I'm supposed to eat, right? Should I eat, like in the 90s, I gave up fat and now I'm afraid of carbs. You know, everyone's doing this diet. There's a lot of confusion. So that's completely understandable. So just think about what your relationship with food is. And then the other thing that I love to ask question, that my third question that I love to ask people, and they're always shocked by this. And I want you all to think about if anyone's ever asked you this. What was your mom's pregnancy like when you were inside of her? Have you ever thought about that? It's really interesting. And my mom knows I've talked to her about it because I was fascinated. Because, I mean, you're one with your mom, right? You're, you've got, she's got this growing child inside of her, and everything she's thinking, you're thinking. Everything she's eating, you're eating. And I, so, you know, you can, and, and I actually like to talk to people about their, the delivery, like what their delivery went, was like, how their relationship with food was, were they breastfed? There's a lot of questions that you can talk to your mom. It's important to have this conversation with what your relationship was like with food in utero and then also as an infant. Because I work with a lot of GI disorders too, a lot of people who struggle with either IBS or irritable bowel diseases, um, a lot of you know, food sensitivities. I've had my, I, I have my own. Um, there's a lot of confusion with, should I be gluten-free? Should I give up dairy? Should I you know, stop eating sugar? And unless you have a specifically diagnosed condition or have some lab work that's indicating this food is not the best thing ever for your body from an inflammatory process or from an, auto, you know, from an immune system response that's happening, then it doesn't necessarily have to be cut from your diet. So there can be a lot of fear around food. So those are the three questions that I ask. 
like why you know what are you why are you attracted to mindful and intuitive eating now or working with a dietitian? What is your relationship with food? And talk to your mom. Find out what her pregnancy was like with you. Because it can be really eye-opening. If you have GI disorders, more than likely her pregnancy was, she was, she may have been chronically sick, or there, there's definitely some, there's a connection there. So let's take a step back and talk about mindful and intuitive eating. Has anyone, are y'all familiar with the, these concepts of mindfulness and intuitive eating? So I'm classically trained as a dietitian and I learned about mind, uh, actually intuitive eating during my residency in the hospital and I wasn't attracted to it at all because I thought I had myself figured out with food. I was like, I don't need this, you know, this concept. This sounds very, um, you know, I just thought I, that was ego, right? My ego was like, uh-uh, girl, I got this. You don't, you don't need to learn any more about this, this um, concept. And it wouldn't be for several years later where I was really ready to embrace the mindfulness piece of it and the intuitive eating because... Um, Sometimes those things that we're running away from or we feel like we don't need to learn anything about happens to be the things that we really need to lean into, right? And they tend to be those concepts that can make the most profound changes in our lives. And we may not be interested in them or resonating with them because there's fear. Has anyone ever felt that? It's just like, ooh, there might be a little, maybe where you're not even aware of our fear around it, but it's just not, it just doesn't feel like anything that we want to explore yet. And that's fine. I think it's all a timing thing, right? So the time has to be right. Sometimes clients come to see me and I can tell the timing isn't right for us to take that journey because in order to approach mindful and intuitive eating, you have to have A, a lot of courage, just like any, any um, you know, remember the Cowardly Lion from Wizard of Oz? Any Wizard of Oz fans out there, right? C -c 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 courage, right? You have to have a lot of courage to take this journey. And it also takes a lot of trust because a lot of us, if you've been stuck in diet culture, do you trust your body? Do you trust that innate wisdom of when it's telling you when to eat? Right? No, a lot of times we're disconnected from it because diet culture tells us when to eat what to eat, how much to eat. It's not necessarily the foods that we want to eat, but we're following a diet. So it takes a lot of trust, and it also takes surrender, right? That's scary. To surrender to the process of, you know, trusting yourself and trusting your innate belly wisdom can be really, really scary for some people, especially it was very scary for me because I had been stuck in diet culture for so many years, decades actually, if we're being honest, as in plural. And there's so much confusion with that and you can be so highly disconnected from your body because you've been listening to someone else's wisdom instead of your own. Do y'all feel like that's, that's been the case? Do we have some people who've you know, ever experienced, anyone ever experienced diets? Anyone struck, yeah, right? I mean, my goodness. And, and we have to let go of this fear of gaining weight. So that's the underlying, um, the actual principle that's preventing you from connecting to your intuitive wisdom is this inherent desire to want to lose weight. And 
so that can feel very scary. You cannot trust yourself and you might not surrender to the process of mindful and intuitive eating because that underlying desire is to lose weight and having this disconnection and possibly a, a, not an appreciation for your body and all that it does do. And speaking on that, does anyone know how many gallons of blood the heart pumps every day? Or how many jobs the liver has? Or do y'all ever think about like how your body breaks down food and gives you energy and like all the things that our amazing bodies do? So the heart pumps about 20,000 gallons of blood a day. Holy cow, thank you heart, that's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> the liver has over 600 jobs a day. And it never goes on holiday, by the way. Your liver never goes like, oh, hey, by the way, here's my, here's my vacation permission slip. I'm going to go to the islands for a beach trip for two weeks. The, the liver never takes a break. It's constantly working and helping you break down your food and turn it into usable forms of uh, nutrition. And your digestive system is, if you're eating, you know, every time you eat, your body has to break down that food. Then it gets processed through the liver. Like your organs are always working together to utilize the foods that you're eating for energy. And yet we really don't give it much thought, do we? We really don't. I mean, what we do is we're frustrated with our body because we step on the scale and it's not indicating a number that we feel we're trying to strive towards, right? And I know that resonates with a lot of people because we can get really, really focused on I have to weigh a certain weight or I have to look a certain way in the mirror or I have to weigh a certain size with, with my clothing. And all of, those, all of that diet culture can absolutely disconnect you from the process of intuitive eating. So let me, I, I meant to bring this up before and I apologize, but intuitive eating is this framework of self-care so that you can divorce yourself from diet culture and reconnect to this intuitive and innate wisdom that is tucked inside of you. So as children, I love to watch kids eat. Does anyone love to watch kids eat? They are such little intuitive eaters. My niece, I used to marvel at this when she was young. She would, you know, run and go play, and then she would, you know, we would be sitting around the table, you know, just conversing, and she would, like, come and eat half a sandwich, a couple of chips, and then she would, like, go run and play. And then, you know, when she was hungry again, then she'd come back to the table and eat and refuel and grab some water, flu whatever fluid she was drinking, and then go and run and play. And I was like, I love watching that. Right? Because she's really using food to fuel her body and fuel her energy needs for the day. And when we start going on a diet, the first time we diet, we disconnect ourselves from that innate wisdom that, is, that we, we naturally have. And the more we diet, the more we disconnect from that, that intuitive wisdom that's tucked within us. Now, intuitive eating is a very structured framework, and it's, it's a little bit of a broader stroke than mindfulness. So mindful eating and mindfulness is just being very present and aware in the current moment of what's going on within you and around you. So, you know, that's why um, 
mindful, you know, breathing techniques can help, you know, help you connect to what's going on with your food. I really love to marriage both concepts of mindfulness and intuitive eating because I think they have, they're, they're very similar and they're used interchangeably, but they also, you know, intuitive eating is used more specifically to delete diet culture. So they, um, the, the first, and it's based on 10 principles. And so the first principle of intuitive eating is deleting diet culture, right? And that's a big, big, big challenge in today's world because diet culture is pervasive, right? I mean, you can't, men's health magazines are just as abusive. I mean, men wanna wear skinny jeans. And you know, like even, even these terms, skinny jeans, and we're drinking skinny margaritas, and it's just, we're just riddled with these, these terms that are glorifying a certain look of a body and making us feel like we're not enough because our body isn't what you know, the media is saying it should be. So that's what causes a lot of confusion is diet culture and intuitive eating, the principle, you know, the first, principle of intuitive eating is just divorcing yourself from all this diet culture belief and this myth that your body is not good enough because you right now are perfect. And I know that sounds weird because some people are like, yeah, that sounds like a bunch of crap. I'm not perfect. I'm comparing myself to another person or I'm comparing myself to my older sister or I'm comparing myself to my best friend, a roommate, a family member, someone on social media, right? So you are perfect exactly as you are. There's no shame in wanting to lose weight. It's just the way you go about it, right? So, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with wanting to feel different in your body, but that, that incessant need of I need to be in a, I need to present in a smaller body is what is always going to disconnect you from your journey with mindful and intuitive eating. So the, let me, so that's, that's the inherent difference with mindfulness versus intuitive eating. But there's, there's 10 very amazing concepts, but a lot of them are interchangeable. But mindfulness is really just being aware of what's going on in this present moment. So y'all can think about that, like mindfulness is, okay, let me tune in right now. What's the quality of my breath? Am I paying attention to the person that just walked in? Where am I in this space and time, right? Like what's going on in my body, in my thoughts, in my mind? Um, I do have a 30-day mindful eating challenge and we're on day 21 today. And this is, we're working on our breath actually. And that might feel like, well, why are you thinking, you know, why do you talk about breath in a mindful eating challenge. Your breath can absolutely give you clues as to what's going on in your mental and physical and spiritual and emotional world, right? Like in real time. So has anyone ever been asleep and you thought someone was in your house? What happens to your breath? Are y'all taking slow, deep breaths? Are you in a state of calm and peace? Is it like, Oh, I think someone's in my house. You're like, oh crap, oh my God. You're, you know, right? You have that, the fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system kicks in, there's panic, your digestion shuts off, your heart rate increases, and your breath is like, oh my God, there's someone in the house. Oh my God, there's someone in the house, right? So when you pay attention to your breath, that is absolutely helpful in indicating what's going on in the moment. 
And, and when I started, when I went through my mindful and intuitive eating journey, which is constant, it should be something that you're always working on and refining and finessing, I realized that when I, when I sat and ate alone, which is a big struggle for a lot of people, does anyone love to eat alone? Oh, good. Y'all are great. I do too, right? I mean, it's peaceful. I love to eat with people too. I love the jo- I love to be, you know, eat in a group environment, but you can learn so much about yourself when you eat alone. And what I recognized was when I paid attention to my breath while I was eating, it didn't matter how much food was left on the plate. If I took a deep breath after like when I was wherever I was during the meal, when I when I heard, felt myself go that was my body's signal to me that it was done. And I never would have recognized that before had I not been quiet and eating alone. And even, and even my spouse knows this now. I'm like, there's the breath. I'm like, there's the breath. And even if there's three bites of food left on my plate, you can choose to still eat that, Right? You have that as an option. There's no, the nice thing about mindfulness, mindfulness is that there's no judgment. But I was like, well, let me just work with this and see what happens. Well, the first time it happened, I just kept eating. And then the second time I stopped. And then I started stopping with it. And I shared it with a client of mine who happens to be a, um, a doula. And she said, you know what? That's interesting. I teach moms to pay attention to the breath of their infant while they're breastfeeding. Because when they take a deep sigh, like you said you do during your meal, that indicates that they're content and they're probably ready to come off the breast. And I was like, that is so cool. And it doesn't happen for everybody and it doesn't happen for me for every meal. But when that does happen, that's an indication from my body that like, hey, I'm good. You can keep eating if you want, but I'm really cool right now. And so nine times out of 10, that's what I do. I make that stop because I'm like, oh, I'm honoring that. And so that's the reason, even though it's day 21 on our mindful eating challenge, I, we focus on the breath and today's day 21 and we're focusing on the breath and it's really, really cool. And so a lot of people just are like, kind of tune out on this day because they're like, I don't need to focus on my breath. I need to focus on my eating. And I'm like we need to focus on the breath. We need to focus on the breath. So mindfulness, when I first started working with it, it was kind of like this weird concept, right? I mean, I remember, like, I understood it like, okay, you're paying attention to the present moment without judgment. It's, you're just being curious of what's going on inside of you and around you. You might be paying attention to like, how does the air feel in your lungs? Um, what is the temperature outside, right? Hooray, we're finally officially in fall in Atlanta, so this feels fabulous. So you might, that would be mindful, right? You could pay attention to how the air feels, how, what the temperature is like. How does your, how does it, how does your tailbone or your, your hiney feel in the chair? That would be mindful. How do your feet feel in the ground? How do your clothes feel touching your skin? How does jewelry feel on your body, right? Is how clo- like, can you feel the person who's sitting next to you? Like, do they have good juju or is their energy a little funky, right? Like, you can, these are things that you can be mindful of. 
And it's, it's this concept that will start to filter into other areas of your life, right? You can absolutely use mindful eating as a way to understand why you do what you do with food. Because with, with mindful eating, it's all, you know, mindful eating helps you understand why you eat, right? Because do we always eat just because we're physically hungry? No, right? Sometimes we eat because we're stressed. Sometimes we eat because we're bored or we're lonely or we're disappointed or we're frustrated or we're, this is what a lot of people I've heard from clients, procrastinating. And so because they don't want to do something, they'll go find out what's going on in the pantry or in the refrigerator. Have you ever done that before? Like, I don't feel like doing something, so let's go check out what looks good in the refrigerator, right? Been there? Yep. So the, that's the mindfulness. Like, why am I eating? Um, and then, the, you know, mindfulness is, you know, working with, like, why am I eating? What am I eating? How am I eating? How much am I eating? And then where is that energy going? So if you think about, like, why you're eating, that can, a lot of people can get stuck on that right? Because the first thing you're thinking of is like, well, I don't want to think about it if I'm, it's, it's easy to do if you're hungry, right? Does anyone, or actually sometimes it's not. I work with a lot of executives who actually push off eating because they say, I don't have time to eat, right? And that's a really good way of disconnecting yourself from your intuitive eating wisdom is not listening to your true hunger cues, so the first thing that I work with them on that, or just people in general, this is actually like a really good intuitive eating skill and a mindful eating skill, especially with the holidays coming up, is to start using the one through 10 hunger scale. And so that hunger scale helps you indicate where you are in the space of like listening to the wisdom of your body. And so let me just take a step back before I get into the one through 10. So there's, a, there's a, a vagus nerve that runs from your belly to your brain. So this is a very strong bi-directional nerve, and that just means that the brain talks to the belly, the belly talks to the brain. And I found this to be totally fascinating, but it actually really instilled why I became a dietitian, because I knew food was medicine, and I knew the body was so incredibly smart that this just kind of really solidified and knocked it out of the park for me like nine times out of ten the belly is talking to the brain isn't that interesting 90% of the brain 90% of the time the brain is getting information from your belly now wouldn't y'all think like oh well everything goes on up here Everything is going on up here. But the belly, your, your stomach is actually the enteric brain. Have you ever heard that, how it's called the second brain? I think it's like 75, 90% of the serotonin is produced in the gut. And serotonin is that feel-good brain chemical called a neurotransmitter. And so 90% of it is produced in the gut. And so think about it. If people have a really messed up gut, it's called gut dysbiosis. In the, in the microbiome, right? This, so this is all the, all the bacteria in your gut is called your microbiome. And if they're unbalanced, what's called dysbiosis, 
then it's, what do, you th what do you think the messages that are running from the belly to the brain? Do you think they're like, hey, everything's groovy down here. I'm happy. No, it actually causes a lot of mental dysfunction. In fact, there is, there, um, when I was in my, uh, doing all my clinical research, there was a lot of information how there is a strong tie to gluten. This is not to, and I apologize in advance, this is a disclaimer, not to cut gluten out of your diet unless you have a clinical issue with it. But people with, I work with, I have a patient who's schizophrenic, and we are working to cut gluten out of their diet because there is a very, very strong connection between gluten and cognitive issues, specifically schizophrenia. So now if you're not schizophrenic and you're cutting out gluten, there's really no reason to do it unless you have a, unless you're having symptoms of, of gluten sensitivities. So I just found that to be very interesting though, like how important this vagus nerve is, right? Because if your belly isn't balanced, if that gut bacteria is really funky, then you are not going to have, it's, it's really difficult to have a healthy relationship with food. And so I did my own, you know, I, I had my own interesting journey with that. I became addicted to sugar, and I don't actually like to use that word. But because, for lack of a better word, I had a, a, like almost what felt like a chemical dependency on sugar as a child. And my mom can understand and agree with this because there was one year after Halloween, I had eight cavities. Yay! And my mom is so smart. Do you know what she did the next year? She bought my bag of candy for $25. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that was a lot of money when I was young. I bought some Barbie clothes, all kinds of fun stuff. But, I, but you know, what happened, if you, take, if you take a back step, what happened was, because I was very sick as a child, I wouldn't pay attention to when my throat was sore, right? I wasn't being mindful. I was letting my, my sore throats turn into fun things like strep throat, scarlet fever. Oh, yeah. We thought that only happened to Mary on Little House on the Prairie. I'm just, you know, letting you know my age. I loved Mary. I was, but uh, when, the, when they diagnosed me and, the, and the, you know, the doctor said, you have scarlet fever, I started screaming, saying, I'm going to go blind. Mary went blind. <laughs> and the doctor was like, um, you need to come in and get your daughter. I think she's delusional. He had no idea what I was talking about, but I, I was so afraid that I was going to go blind. But that was how disconnected I was from my body because by the time I got to the doctor's office, I was covered in these red dots and I wasn't paying attention to my, you know, my sore throats that I would just let turn into, you know, significant issues. And then, of course, I was on rounds and rounds of antibiotics. And as we know now, anti broad spectrum antibiotics will completely flatline your gut bacteria and allow you know, opportunistic bacteria to proliferate and grow. And candida albicans specifically are the ones that love sugar. Ooh, that is their crack. And so it makes sense why I had such a struggle with sugar for a long time. But you know what? I'm gonna, I'm, it was actually really good because that struggle helped me understand how much of an entrepreneur I am because I wanted to feed my habit. And so what I would do is I would p play gin rummy with my girlfriends on the weekends. I would collect all my little, you know, five-cent earnings. I would go buy Jolly Ranchers and Now and Laters. I would sell it at school for a 500% markup. 
Mark Cuban would be like, I'm hiring you. Like that is an incredible return on investment, right? Five cents for the candy, sell for 25 cents. I was like rolling. And let me tell you something. I had a line of crack addicts at my seventh grade locker between third and fourth period every day. And by the way, I know what you're thinking. You want to know what flavor sold out the most, right? Green apple. Green apple was, a, yeah, I know, you were there. I recognize you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Green apple was the number one flavor seller. Um, I can't remember Jolly Rancher, though. I mean, that was Jolly Rancher. I can't remember now and later which one it was, but those were the two that I sold. So my point is, is that because I was so disconnected and unmindful of what was going on in my body, I allowed myself to get sick, which was actually a beautiful way to reconnect to my body and understand how it works and to start honoring and respecting it and catching things earlier in the moment than letting it get to the point that it did. But I had a really interesting, um, you know, journey with sugar. And it's crazy for me to think now, based on the struggles that I went through for decades with sugar, that now I have a peaceful relationship with it. I can keep all kinds of foods in the house that used to, you know, like when you're in diet culture, you, there are certain foods that you just can't have, right, that calls your name, that you, you're, or, or foods that you're afraid to eat, right, because like this food has control over you. And after, when you start working with mindful and intuitive eating, you absolutely can. And here's the interesting thing with dieting that's very important is that the restriction process of dieting, of cutting out all of your favorite foods, causes eventually you to overeat. Now, this is radical because this was not taught to me in school because as a dietitian, we're trained, you know, here's how to help people lose weight. Here's the type of diet for someone with diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol. And actually what happens is when you start restricting your favorite foods or the foods that you want to eat, this is the diet pendulum. You'll be restrictive on one side and then enter in an emotion, a trigger, a stress, any kind of like high, you know, something that's really feeling uncomfortable in your body where you're just like, I can't handle the emotions that are coursing through me right now. Let me use food as a coping mechanism, right? And so that restriction, all you have to do is enter in some kind of stressful event that's happening in your life. And it could be anything from, you know, children who possibly made a low grade on their test score to, you know, going through a divorce, losing a job, losing a loved one. There's so many different things that can and it doesn't even have to be that dramatic, right? There's just enter in a stressful situation and then the food can come in as a coping mechanism. And do you think you're gonna want something that's quote unquote healthy? What are we usually gravitating towards? All the foods that we couldn't have anymore. Mac and cheese, pizza, cupcakes, you know, popcorn, whatever, whatever. The, I don't know why I said popcorn. Um, Cause that's a diet food, right? You can eat all you want. Um, but whatever that food is, is the restrictive foods, that's what you're going to gravitate towards. And so, you know, by deleting diet culture and giving yourself permission to eat all foods can feel very, very scary for some people, right? And so if we think about it, we have this, this food fear. We're very, you know, the media glamorizes 
food, and I'm guilty of it too because I'm, I'm, on, I'm a media dietitian for Fox 5 and, and 11 Alive. And so they wanted me to do something on um, bacon versus turkey bacon. And it really, it just now, I probably would not have done that episode because I think it really depends on what you enjoy eating. So like someone who loves to eat bacon, to tell them to switch over to turkey bacon might not work for them, right? And so, you know, I think it's more important to go ahead and eat that food, your favorite foods, and think about how it feels in your body. So, you know, really, like, what is, like, if you can mindfully eat those foods that you no longer allow yourself to eat, and this is called the paradox, of the permission, the paradox permission, like the, the, you know, there's a paradox of giving yourself permission to eat the foods that you've been restricting. When you allow to eat those foods, and you pay attention to how they feel energetically in your body, you may or may not want them anymore. And so I've had that happen with clients before. You know, a lot of times we have this like, like, oh my God, like, oh, I love this food and I can't eat it anymore. Have you ever had that happen before where like you romanticize about this food that you haven't had in forever and then you eat it and you're like, well, that was disappointing. Like, I thought it was going to be so much better than that. And, I, and actually, when I was working through my whole sugar thing, I went to my best friend's birthday party, and she was having, um, they had catered piece of cake, and I was like, oh, my God, I am going to tear up some piece of cake tonight. I am so excited. Do you know what happened? I took that first bite mindfully, and it was so sweet. It was so sweet, and it was so disappointing to me. And have y'all ever, like, kept eating looking for the good bite? You're like, I know there's one in here somewhere. I'm going to find it. And I just decided in that moment, I was like, this is too sweet, and I know it's too sweet. So I'm just going to put this piece of cake away. And I hate throwing away food. I hate throwing away food. Anyone else was part of the Clean Plate Club? right? That's how we're raised. And that's part of your, the intuitive, you know, and mindful journey is starting to pay attention to, you know, your thoughts and feelings and behaviors and patterns and habits with food is just to really be aware of all the messages, these subtle messages that are tucked inside of your, your body and how that impacts your relationship with food. So it was really painful for me to like, throw away that cake, but it was also super empowering because it helped me build a stronger connection to listening to that inner wisdom in my body. And so that first step that you take, remember we talked about, you know, the mindful and intuitive eating journey takes courage, trust, and surrender. And I really had to have courage in that moment that I would be able to eat cake again. That's part of the reason why, you know, when you go on a diet and you restrict and then you, you'll go back and forth between overeating and restricting, right? That's, that's the diet pendulum where you're like, okay, I'm going to restrict. I'm going to diet. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be in this safe box. I'm in control, right? You might, you'll have these sensations of, well, everything is, is laid out for me and I have to stick to the plan. And then all of a sudden, you know, my life goes sideways and now goes the overeating or even binging. I work with a lot of clients who um, struggle with binge eating disorders. 
and they'll just vacillate between the two from restrictiveness to overeating. And once they understand that the restrictiveness is the cycle that feeds the overeating and that the overeating feeds the cycle of restriction, then you can start finding the mindful middle, what I call like the peaceful mindful middle between the two, the pendulum. So your, your arc with your pendulum starts to swing less and it gets smaller and smaller until you can find this peaceful ground between restriction and overeating. And it takes time. Like this isn't gonna, you know, the problem with diets is there's this false promise of things happening in two weeks, right? Oh, I'm gonna lose, you know, I'm gonna lose 30 pounds in 30 days, or you know, like, oh, my friend lost 80 pounds in eight months on keto. It's like, you know, and I hate to even bring up those as examples because then that gets stuck in your head. And what I would suggest is ask yourself, if you are stuck in diet culture right now, is what you're doing sustainable? And this is the conversation that I have with a lot of clients that come to me and ask me for like very specific diet plans, which I don't do anymore, by the way. And I love that I don't do diet plans because those used to be the bane of my existence. Someone asking me what they should eat? How do I know? How do I, because let me tell you something, you probably are not going to want to eat what I put together for you. Like what my, what resonates with my body is unlikely to resonate with your body. Right? And so the most, if, if you walk out of here today with no other concept but understanding that you are in charge of your body and you are the only person who can be able to make those conscious decisions of what nurtures you from a food perspective, what feels nourishing and energizing to you. You know, Kirsten and I were having a conversation earlier about, um, you know, the, the importance of sometimes, you know, it's, it's good to know how food feels in your body, you know, because one of the things I do teach clients is how is this food going to make you feel after you eat it? That's not something that we're ever taught, right? When I eat this, like when I ate that piece, of, when I ate that bite of cake, like how is this going to make me feel? What well, was a party, then I was going to go home and go to bed. But during the daytime, that would probably, because I know how sugar impacts my body, it's probably not one of those foods that I would gravitate towards, right? But you have to understand how food feels in your body, and you're in charge of your body. A doctor is not in charge of your body. A dietitian is not in charge of your body. I don't know what's going to make you feel good. So, like, when people would ask me to make meal plans for them, it, I, it used to make me crazy. So, in a good way. Um, what's important is finding out the foods that work for you, right, on an individual level. Because some people wake up and they have a ferocious appetite for breakfast. And so, if they're following diet culture, then they might say, okay, well, let me drink coffee all day until, you know, keep pushing back the breakfast meal until lunch and not and, and ignoring their, their hunger cues. And then by the end of the day, they wind up binging because they've been restricting all day long, right? And in, instead, this is a fascinating thing that happens with clients. They're always so shocked. When they eat breakfast, they don't binge at night. Wow, isn't that revolutionary? We made one change in their diet. 
And all of a sudden, we started working with more, a more balanced approach to that breakfast meal and listening and honoring their hunger cues and making sure that they're eating things that feel satisfying and nourishing and makes them happy so that later on in the day, they're not trying to find something to fill that void, you know, eight, ten hours later. So, it, you know, giving yourself permission to eat the foods that feel super scary to you Oh my goodness, I remember when I first learned about this because I studied mindful eating with a doctor in Arizona and when she you know, gave me permission to eat whatever I wanted, I panicked. I was just like, what? Now remember, I was coming from you know, several decades of diet culture where you just did not give yourself permission to eat. You did if it was a special event or an anniversary or you were on vacation, right? Anyone go on vacation and gain weight because you're just like, woohoo! It's all about French fries and cupcakes and champagne. Well, maybe that's me. Actually, you can eat that anytime, right? That's you really should be able to give yourself permission to eat that anytime because when you take away that mystique of food, it doesn't have power over you anymore. And I mean, at the end of the day, we really have to think about it. It's like it's just food. It's really just food. And a lot of times we're giving food too much, too much, too much power. So I want to loop back around to the one through 10 hunger scale, because that's a really important um, concept to integrate if you feel like you're struggling with food. And so one is going to be like falling on the floor, starving. And I want y'all to tune into, we're going to do a little mindful, mindful exercise right now. Anyone here on a one, like if they were like, I haven't eaten, I'm starving, my stomach's growling, I might be sweaty and feeling confused, I don't even know what to eat, good. No one here feels that way. All right, so that's a one, so think small number, small stomach. Ten is Thanksgiving Day full. Has anyone had that before? Thanksgiving Day full, where's the couch? So think 10, big number, big um, stomach, really, really stretched out. So if one is starving, famished, well, ten, so then let's move up from one to 10. So one is starving, like really, really like panicky. You can't even make a decision what to eat. Diabetics will start to get very sweaty as their blood sugar gets super low. Um, not a good place to be at all. Because when you get on the lower end of the scale, it can absolutely set you up for going on the opposite end, right? Because remember, just like the pe think about the pendulum swinging from overeating to um, restriction. It's the same thing with the 1 through 10 scale. So a 2 would be hangry. I love that term. I'm angry and I'm hungry. Hangry. So, yeah, so 2 is hangry. 3 is hungry, like where you're starting to get those hunger signals. Your stomach might be growling. You're thinking about food. At a three, you could pretty much eat anything. A sandwich would do. Super stew would do. A smoothie, you know, a piece of pizza, whatever. Like food, food is going to work at a three. Once you start getting below a three, your, your you know, food discernment gets a little clouded because your brain is panicking because it needs nutrition. So a four is what I call kind of. Like, I'm kind of hungry. Has anyone felt that way before? You're like, I'm not hungry, but I kind of want to eat. So that's what I call four. Now, five is neutral. 
And like if I tune into my belly right now, I'm in neutral. I'm not hungry. I'm not full. I'm not, I'm just, my stomach's just there. A six is a really interesting term called content. Does anyone stop eating when they're content? Good for you. Content, right? That's an interesting word because usually we stop when we're at a seven, which is full, an eight, which is very full, nine is stuffed, and 10 is something that might happen next month. Thanksgiving Day full. So with mindful and intuitive eating, we do start finessing the number on the scale with regards to eating, how you feel before your meals, and how you feel after your meals. And I like people to experience all ranges on the scale, right? Because I can, you know, the best way, if you want to turn this into a diet, and it's important with mindful and intuitive eating to be able to catch yourself when you're falling prey to diet culture and undoing the toxicity of that. Because remember, when you're dieting, it's going to disconnect you from the true messages that your body, that internal wisdom that's constantly taking place between the vagus nerve and your brain. So with, um, so finessing those numbers is important. And what, the best way to turn this into a diet is to say, because I had a client do this, I'm only going to eat when I'm at a three and I'm only gonna stop when I'm at a seven, a six, or a seven. That's, that's how you, and I hate to even say this because I don't wanna give this, I don't wanna give anyone, oh, okay, this is how I'm gonna use the hunger scale and like, you know, lose weight because then you're totally missing the point. The intention is, is to start learning how your body feels in the moment so that you can nourish it appropriately with the right amount of food. Because if you, if you eat, and you don't feel, like the intention of eating, and this is something that's not taught to us as children, but it really should be, the intention of eating is so that we feel better after the meal than we feel before the meal. And so if you feel like crap after the meal, or if you're tired and sluggish, or if you have, you have low energy, then you may have missed the mark right? Because the intention to eat is to fuel your body so that you can continue living your best life ever. And so, you know, I have a lot of clients that come to me and who are struggling because they, they're like, well, I eat and then I overeat and then I don't have any energy. And so I take a nap and I feel like I'm wasting a lot of mental space, confused about food and constantly struggling with how to find that balance with, with eating, um, and so when we start working with the, the hunger and fullness scale, the, you know, the, the one through 10 scale, then they can start being able to judge where they want to end on the spectrum. And, and you can be very intentional with that. So I've actually kind of incorporated intentional eating into my practice now as well, where you can be intentional with the way you nourish your body. And you can say, okay, I want to, this is how I want to feel after I eat. And, and sometimes it's not always energized. This was, I'm looping back around to the conversation I had with Kristen. Sometimes, you know, at night, if you're fatigued, then sometimes it's kind of important to know that, hey, a big bowl of pasta is going to knock me out and I'm going to sleep well. That can be pretty intentional, right? 
And so, you know, for me, one of the things, I've never had an appetite as a child. My mom can attest to this. I was not, I used to like, and she used to get up and make, I love you for this, mom. She would get up and make homemade biscuits and eggs and toast and Ovaltine. Every morning, she would make sure she would try to send us to school with food in our belly so we could, you know, have brain fuel. And I just, I never had an appetite. So shamefully, this, I, I hope, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I used to pack up my breakfast and give it to my best friend at the, at the bus stop. And Lisa Weathers loves you, by the way. <laughs> but I just was never hungry as a child. And I'm still, like, I still, my appetite, I think my metabolism is on West Coast time because I'm usually hungry around 10, 10 30, 11 a.m. in the morning. And so I love to just do really, really easy, like, I, like my green juice here. Like, this is, my, this is my green cappuccino. I love to just drink green juice first thing in the morning because it gives me abundant energy. It doesn't tax my digestive system. That's not asking for food. But when I eat a big brunch or if I eat food in the morning, it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel right on my belly. So it's not, that wasn't diet culture. This is something that was from childhood. Like when I started taking my mindful and intuitive eating journey, I started reconnecting with those habits, that innate wisdom from childhood. But someone who loves breakfast, this is going to be the death of them. They're going to feel very unnourished, very unsatisfied. They want something yeah, they want something hot and warm and nourishing for breakfast. And so that's going to make them feel happy. So, you know, it's important to start understanding how diet culture might be working against you, right? When you start adopting other people's beliefs or their, their suggestions and not, not listening to your own. Um, so does, do y'all want to do, I feel like I've covered like some of the, the, the really important tips because there's, there's 10, <laughs> there's 10, uh, intuitive eating principles and they're pretty, they're, ex, they're extensive, but one of the important ones is finding satisfaction in your meals. So, and we, and we, we definitely, you know, brushed on that, but I, I do want to do a mindful eating exercise with y'all. Are y'all, are y'all down with that? Where are your hunger levels? Now that y'all know the hunger scale, where are your hunger levels? Three, okay, four, three-ish, four, four, seven, okay. Well, the good news is, is that it's not a big meal. Um, and does anyone have any, uh, one of the things that I really like to do, I think is another important way to instill some mindfulness into your eating rituals is to have rituals. And so... I know I, I talk a lot about my mom because she is my number one fan and um, taught me a lot of awesome, a lot of awesome skills like meditation. She was so patiently waiting for me to meditate forever. So thank you, mom, for your patience. But she brought me back this bowl from Tibet. And one of the rituals that we do before meals, and I love having rituals now, but one of the rituals that we do is we ring this bell, this Tibetan bowl, And we ring this bowl before our meal to bring us into the present moment. The sound, you know, just having sound can really help you take yourself out of all the, like, blah, blah, blah that's going into your head that's, that's just taking place in your world. And I like to ring that bell, and then my spouse and I, we go through all, our, all the things we're grateful for from the day. And it's just a beautiful way to connect 
and be grateful, right? And we also give, and we get, we're thankful for the foods that we're eating. Um, and he probably doesn't like this, but I always mention, like, if we're eating animals, that we give um, proper recognition to them dying for us to eat. And I was vegan for 13 years. Um, I still really resonate very hard with a plant-based diet because it just, I love a high-vibe diet. It just works with my DNA. Um, that's one thing I will say that, you know, being stuck in diet culture, I'm grateful for exploring a plant-based diet because um, it's changed me on a cellular level. But it's not for everybody. So, it, and, and, and honestly, you can go a little bit too far dur uh, down the wellness rabbit hole. I actually had a condition called orthorexia, and that is where you are um, obsessed with wellness and only eating healthy food, and you can actually have significant fear with eating food, other foods. So there was a period of three years where I basically ate raw, uncooked, and vegan food, and it was extremely healing and therapeutic, and it served me for that time until it didn't serve me. And at the time, it felt extremely sustainable. That's one of the things I ask my clients. You have to think about sustainability. Can you, can you exist on whatever you're doing for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years? You have to, essentially what I do, I work with a lot of younger 20-year-olds who are, you know, stuck in diet culture, and I'll say, who's the oldest person in your family? And so if they had a grandmother who lived to 100, then we take their age, 20 minus 100, and I'm like, can you do this for the next 80 years? Because there's a possibility, you know, with modern technology, we're living a lot longer than our ancestors did. So can, does this feel sustainable to you? And I'll say, when I was, you know, when I was plant-based 100%, I felt like it was sustainable for the rest of my life. But it really started becoming, there's a dark side to wellness that um, you can go down, you can go really, really go down the rabbit hole in a, in a, in a not so healthy way. So um, that's why it's really important to divorce yourself from diet culture and find mindful and intuitive eating as a way to heal your relationship with food. So what we're going to do now is we're going to do a really fun little mindful eating exercise as long as we have time. How are we doing? Perfect, because it's a five-minute exercise. That was divinely timed. Okay, so we have, does anyone have any nut allergies? Okay, so we have almonds and we have raisins. So I'm going to pass these around. And I specifically did not bring, um, I'm very eco-conscious as well, so I specifically did not bring napkins because I want you to hold the food in your hands. Okay, so you'll just take either two raisins or two almonds, or if you want to be crazy and have an almond and a raisin, go for it, right? No judgment. That's the beautiful thing about mindfulness is that there's no judgment. You're just, you really want to focus on being in the moment and being curious. <clears throat> and so I want you all to see what it feels like to hold this food. And we have raisins too, so you don't have to, are almonds okay? Peanuts? Okay, great. So what I want, what we're going to do once we pass this around is um, I want y'all to just think about this being the first time you've ever seen this food. And clearly, I'm I can look at all of y'all and I know that we've all seen a raisin and we've all seen an almond. This is not, you know, weird food. 
And to the podcast world, if you're driving in the car listening to this, don't do this exercise. Hit the pause button and return to this exercise when you're at home. So I want you all to look at that raisin or that almond like it's the first time you've ever seen that food. Be fascinated with it. What does it look like? Look at the wrinkly skin. What color is it? How does it feel in your hand? What is the weight of it? What does the texture look like? Do you have any thoughts about it? Are you thinking like, ew, gross, I hate raisins. I wish it was a cranberry. Or I wish it was chocolate. Or are you excited like, oh my God, I love raisins. Actually, I love them in oatmeal cookies. <laughs> so just think about what you're thinking about. And then once everyone has their food, now I want you to smell it. What does it smell like? Do the raisins bring back memories from childhood? Do the almonds have a smell? Is there anything that you're thinking about? Is your mouth salivating? Are you like Pavlov's dog right now? Did anyone need any almonds? Raisins? Everyone's good? Okay. And actually, you can do this with any food. It doesn't have to be a raisin or an almond, but we're going to use those because they're pretty safe and they're small. And you'll be amazed at what happens when we're done with this. So has everyone smelled it? What are y'all thinking about? Just think about what you're thinking about with that food. Are you, are you like, just shut up and let us eat it? Stop talking, because I'll tell y'all, the first time I did a mindful eating exercise with uh, the doctor I studied with, she tortured us. We had, this, we had this huge plate of food, and by the way, I had flown out to Arizona. I was going through an extremely stressful time in my life, and when I'm highly stressed, I'm like my sister. We just lose our appetites, and so I, like, my appetite had kicked in, and this doctor was going on and on and on about mindful eating. And I was like, oh, I can't wait till she just shuts up so I can shovel a huge mouthful of food in my mouth. I am so hungry in this moment. So think about what you're thinking about. Does it aggravate you that this food is sitting there and you're not getting to eat it? And I will tell you, if you were on a one on the hunger scale right now, you would be like, I can't wait till she shuts up and tells me to eat this, because that's where I was at. So it was very, actually, it was very poignant that that was my first exercise with mindful eating. All right, so now that y'all have, now that y'all have smelled it and looked at it and thought about what you're thinking about, as if it was the first time you've ever seen this food, I want y'all to listen to my next instructions. You're gonna put it on your tongue and not chew it. Don't chew until I say chew. So I just want you to put it on your tongue, and I want you to rest it there. How does that make you feel? What is the weight of that food on your tongue? What's going on internally in your body? Are you anticipating chewing? Are you curious? Is there any taste that's taking place? Do you hate me? 
Are you frustrated? Just think about those things without judgment. Right. That's a, that's a good question. We'll get baby steps. We'll take baby steps to get there. So now I want you to go ahead and chew it once. One chew. Feel the different texture in your mouth right now. Do you notice a difference? And now I want you to go ahead and continue chewing, but I want you to close your eyes and focus on what this food feels like in your mouth. And if it's a raisin, I just want you to like really experience the flavors, the texture, the sensation that's going on in your mouth. How does that raisin or almond taste? If it's the almond, can you taste the skin as it's removing itself from the nut? If it's the raisin, is there any like sweet texture? I mean, any sweet sensations to it? Is there any like crystallized sugar on it? Just really explore that one little bite of either the raisin or the almond. And then when you're done and you swallow it, I want you to think about what that food is doing in your body. What digestion is taking place? What do you think your stomach is doing with it? How do you think it's going to impact your energy or your body? And then ideally... That is what you do with each bite of food. <laughs> and I will be honest, this is not going to happen 100% of the time. But if you can focus on one meal a day where you just start practicing mindful eating, where you're just paying attention to how food feels in your mouth and looking at it, right? Because we're, have you ever seen kids who look at broccoli and they're like, ew, or you smell food and you're like, gross, right? So we're visual eaters. So the appearance, like you can make food look beautiful. I love to make, I love to make food look really, really pretty and appealing. That's one of the things that, uh, you know, working, working with plants, I was like, oh my gosh, I just want to make them look beautiful and vibrant. Um, but you can make any food look beautiful, right? I mean, I've seen some incredible mac and cheese before. I'm like, that looks phenomenal. How did they do this? So we eat with our eyes, so it's important to make sure that your food looks appealing to you. And then you can just practice this once a day, one meal a day. And if you can't do one meal a day, then just try once a week right? Dedicate a day where you're like, I'm going to practice eating mindfully for one meal. And then eventually what happens is if you eat while you're distracted, you lose the opportunity to really, really thoroughly enjoy your food. And once you start enjoying your food, you don't want to miss out on that opportunity. Because I've done that before with my favorite foods, and I've been distracted watching something or, you know, playing on your phone or working, and it's just like, ugh, I didn't really, like, I made this amazing food. It looks beautiful, and I know it tastes beautiful and amazing, but I just didn't. I lost the opportunity of tasting what this food really, really felt like. Because, like, going through that experience with one raisin or one almond can really help you connect to your food, 
Does that make sense? And we have a question. That's awesome. I love that you bring that up. Okay, so for our podcasters, we had a very intelligent question um, or, or a uh, association with connecting food with its origin and recognizing that almonds come from trees and raisins come from grapes that came from trees and where the origin of food is from and connecting with that, which I think is super important, right? Because a lot of times the food ends up on our plate and we have no idea where it came from. We have no idea the farmers who had to, you know, work on producing, like planting that seed into the ground and like they ha someone had to pick that food and it had to get to the grocery store or the farmer's market or wherever we're, we're picking that food up from. And then all of a sudden, you know, we have to prep it and put it on a plate and then we're just so in our heads and so disconnected that we don't even recognize where our food is coming from. And again, podcasters, he also brought up a brilliant point about um, processed foods being created in, um, you know, factories, uh, and a lot of the chemicals are made in labs. So I think there's, you know, the nice thing with intuitive and mindful eating is that there's a, there's an, it's an all foods fit philosophy, right? Because sometimes food is meant to give us pleasure and I love cupcakes and I love champagne. And so I gave them up for a very long time. And now that I eat them mindfully, I don't go buck wild with them. But if you restrict them, the next time you get, that's the paradox, the, the paradox of permission. Once you give yourself permission to eat those foods, you might go crazy with them initially. But as you, as you shorten the, the arc between the restrictiveness and the overeating, you'll get to that, mind, that peaceful, mindful middle space. The 50 shades of gray. Like, right? Because like, the important thing with diets to understand is that diets are very black and white. Right? You're either on a diet or off a diet. It's black and white. There's no gray. And so gray can feel very scary to people because it's everything is allowed right? And that can feel very scary to people because they feel like food has control over them and it's not true, right? Once you give yourself permission to eat foods mindfully and intentionally and you just pay attention to how that food physically feels in your body and maybe what it's doing to your biochemistry, you know, you will, you'll be able to get to a point where you can eat those foods, and it's not about being in control or out of control, but you're just in charge of what it, you're putting in your body and how you want to feel after that meal. And so, like, I love Cinnabons. Have you all walked around the airport and you smell those and you're like, good God, oh, my God, you want to bathe yourself in them. They smell so good. I don't like the way I feel afterwards. 
I mean, digestively, they will just destroy me. And so I'm not attracted to them. They smell. I can, hold, I can, be, I can walk by and be like, oh, you look amazing. You smell amazing. Not attracted to it. So it's just important to find those foods that vibe with your body and but being very mindful about like the origin of food and how it got to your plate because it can absolutely increase your satisfaction factor and help you just really, really ultimately make peace with food. So any more questions before we move forward? Yes. And I'm, I'm intrigued with the fact that we even have the luxury to think about this with people in the world who are just interested in getting something in their stomach that will, you know, feed them. Um, so, you know, when I don't even know what kind of question to ask around this with such a limited amount of time, but can you explore at least a, a little short amount of time with that part of what's going on with our culture and the fact that we even have the luxury to think about this? It's a privilege, right? It really, you know what, it's so funny because I had this, actually had this conversation with my neighbors last night over a glass of wine and we were talking about um, how privileged we are, or I kind of got on my soapbox about how privileged we are as a society to be throwing away so much food. We waste an incredible amount of food. I actually had uh, this was a long time ago. I had someone come to me and say, hey, do you want to start, um, like, you know, a protein powder company? Because we are burying this excess from the food industry um, into the ground. And I was like, well, why can't we ship this to a third world country who's struggling with, you know, protein malnutrition issues? And it's politics. So, you know, unfortunately, you, there can be things with good intention, and there's a lot of politics around food. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, so there's that. But, you know, as far as our country goes, we just have, it, it's interesting, we have people who are, live in food scarce, you know, who live in food scarcity. They don't know where their next meal is coming from, and yet tons of us are throwing out food every day. So I don't have a solution to that, except that we are very intentional with the way we do eat and try to decrease the excess that we produce because the only, you know, what we can do is be responsible for our choices and the amount of food that we eat and the amount of food that we throw away. I, I love to be super creative with food. I mean, my spouse knows nothing goes to waste in my house, even... When I cut up scraps of vegetables, those get frozen, and then I make them into a vegetable broth. And then it gets composted into the ground so that whatever is left over is, you know, given back to the earth because that's essentially where it came from in the first place. And so I think, you know, it's just small changes that each of us can do, and we can just share our wisdom with others and hopefully encourage them to do the same. But we've come to a strong tipping point in our world where I'm really excited to see the millennials and how they're really um, waking up to the importance of saving our earth. So I have a lot of faith in the future generations that they really do care about these things. And so companies are companies are really rising to the you know rising to the challenge. So it's it's an important thing that you bring up. So thank you. Yeah. Anything else that y'all want to address, or have we like exhausted the mindfulness and the intuitiveness and? Y'all can find me at nutritionatlanta.com. Um, 
You can find me on social media at Nutrition Atlanta. I love to hear from all my viewers. I actually just did a lecture at Georgia State University to the students because they don't have mindfulness or an intuitiveness in the curriculum, so they're building that in, which is exciting. Because as dietitians, it's, we've always been, I mean, diet is in our word, dietitian, right? And so it's uh, the intuitive eating concept was created in 1995 by two dietitians who gratefully now it's really being, um, it's exploding in the world of, of food. But it's important to recognize that any of the um, information out there that is suggesting that intuitive eating is to be used as a way to lose weight is the inappropriate way to become, uh, to walk your intuitive eating path. And same with mindfulness. It's not People turn it, everything into a diet, right? Everybody will. But the, the true intention with intuitive and mindful eating is to reconnect to yourself and your innate wisdom, to divorce yourself from diet culture, and to let your body guide you to know how to nourish yourself appropriately in the moment. So it is, it's, a, it's very sacred work. I'm honored to, that it's called me to work with it. And so... I, uh, it's, it's recharged me as a dietitian because I questioned my work, um, you know, helping people lose weight and working with weight management. And now this work has just, it's, it feels extremely sacred and blessed. And I'm super happy to have y'all here. And hopefully you can um, share the word with other people who feel like they're struggling with food so that we can find true food freedom. Y'all are awesome. Thanks for showing up on a Sunday. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.